So this morning I'd like to uh, speak a little bit about the five hindrances. And you know, they are called five hindrances simply because they hinder the mind from, proper, from properly functioning. You know, and properly functioning in, in terms of the Buddha's teaching means, you know, to know what is wholesome for oneself and what is wholesome for others. That's the definition of properly functioning. And, you know, when the mind is under the sway of any of the five hindrances, the mind is clouded in different ways, you know, and then the way things really are is hidden from us. And because of that, you know, our actions will be informed wrongly and then you know, it mightn't be like a big deal, but if we are not aware of it, then over time, you know, it's slowly, slowly, we're gonna go off center. And then over the years, you know, we're developing certain habits or strengthening certain habits, you know, which, which do not contribute to that which is wholesome for ourselves and wholesome for others. And you know the Buddhist teaching has a lot of lists in it, because the teaching you know is, was orally transmitted for about 500 years, and that's one method you know how that was made possible through creating lots of lists and lists and lists you know to kind of as a as a support for memory. And the five hindrances is such a list, and. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to speak about the seven factors of enlightenment, which is another list. And there's even a whole big book in the canon, the Anguttara Nikaya, which is, you know, speaking about subjects of Dharma in terms of the ones and the twos and the threes up to eleven. You know, so all of the teachings are uh, kind of ordered in that way. And in the beginning, it, it you know. Is, is all a little bit kind of very dry and it escapes us, you know, what is that good for, you know. But in reality, it's, it's just, you know, not something to think about, but it's, it's a list which we use as a, you know, as a background for, for reflection in the, while we are meditating. So it's not about kind of thinking about is this really true or, you know, what and all of those things, but just kind of taking it uh, on, you know, on taking it on on faith, you know, just for a while and see if it's useful for our practice or not. And if it isn't, then we just, you know, if you do not notice uh, those five hindrances operating in your mind, then you think that's all not really applicable to your own experience, then you just leave it behind. And before you know, I start to go more into detail, I just want to actually read one quote from the Anguttara Nikaya. That's the book you know, which has all of those lists according to ones, twos, threes, and so on. It, Anguttara means graduated. And it says here, Whatsoever, whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, 
firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. So it always you know, starts with becoming aware of any of the five hindrances in the mind, you know, you, and then using that very hindrance as an object for meditation. And then through doing that, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment are cultivated. So it's not you know, that we have to get rid of the five hindrances in order to meditate, but we're just using the five hindrances as, a, as an object for our meditation. And then as soon as we are conscious of any of the five hindrances being present, seven factors of enlightenment are here immediately. You know? Because as, as soon as you are conscious that there is, for example, desire or ill will you know, clouding the mind, you are not, no longer under its way because you are conscious. And then what is there is mindfulness. So it's, it's very, very simple. You know? It's not about getting rid of something. It's more about adding, adding one more element to it, which is mindfulness. And then the whole process of the seven factors of enlightenment takes off naturally, because this is all laws of nature which we can get to know through the practice and then we can take advantage of knowing how it works. And you just, you know, you just, for example, there's a lot, like, a lot of kind of yearning for, uh, I want this food and this, you know, still need two hours and all of that. The mind is kind of thinking about that. And then as soon as you drop in mindfulness, you just, okay, there's this thoughts going on, there's the feeling of hunger, and there's this energetic pull towards the food, but it's not the same anymore as before, because I'm just aware of it, and I, I notice it, and I notice it's constantly changing, and as soon as I'm aware of it, I can learn from it. I can learn about what is hunger, you know, what is longing, and all of that, you know, can be I can take with me wherever I go. And then, you know, there might be other situations where that is kicking in, where there's much more at stake than just like a little meal. And then I can, I can make space, you know, and I can choose on what I'm acting and what I'm not acting. And that's how I can, you know, steer my life towards more wholesome ways of being in the world and having less stress, you know, having less suffering, simply because I know that many and all of those processes, you know, in the body and the mind, they are non-personal, they're not just my own issue, my own problem, because it's just the way things are, that's laws of nature. And because we are, you know, we have reflective minds, we are what's called like homo sapiens sapiens, you know, we are, we're still making a lot of mistakes, but we do have the capacity, you know, for being aware of what's going on. We just need to take the pains, you know, to cultivate it. And the meditation is the technology for that, you know, to cultivate that potential we all have and make it stronger so that we have a choice, you know, what we want to follow and what we don't want to follow. And as soon as one of the five hindrances is present, you know, our perception is clouded. And we brought this little poster which is over there. You see it on the wall just next to the door, uh, not, not existing door, there, 
to the hole in the wall. So, and there is a, a depiction of all of the five hindrances and also of the mind which is free from the hindrances. And in the break, you might want to have a look at it. It's also, it's a sutta. I'm just going to speak on that now. So the, those five hindrances, they are called Nivarana in Pali. And the first one is desire, sensual desire. And just want to say, you know, it, it's not saying that sensual desire is bad or anything. It's just saying, you know, if sensual desire is present in the mind, the mind is not able to see clearly the way things are because it's clouded. And then the next one is ill will or aversion. And, you know, in this category there is false anger and there is false cruelty and also fear. And then the next one is is uh, restlessness. Then another one is doubt. And the last one is sloth and torpor. And uh, this is really is very basic uh, Buddhist teaching. And you know, anyone who has ever sit down to meditate will have met all five of them. You know, and uh, the less developed our minds are, you know, the more we get identified with them if they are, if they have arisen, you know the less capacity we have to stay conscious. And, and a fully enlightened being, you know, would still have anger arising, you know, if the conditions are present, or desire arising, you know, when that, when that being is hungry and it sees food, it wants food, of course, you know. But there's no more identification, you know. So that's the difference between a fully enlightened being and us, is that a fully enlightened being can stay conscious and is not kind of, you know, pulled into the hindrances. Even they are still arising. So, you know, the practice is really, in one way we could say, the practice is all about, you know, familiarizing ourselves deeply, you know, with the five hindrances and through that not being deluded by them, you know. And for example, you know, you, you might have heard, you know, courage doesn't mean that you don't have, that you're not experiencing fear, but courage simply means, you know, to still act even that there is fear there. Because it's natural, you know, to be afraid of certain things. It's, it's even a good thing, you know, that you don't throw yourself in front of a truck because it would kill you. So it's appropriate to be fearful sometimes. But also we tend to be also fearful in other situations where it's not helpful because it's just based on some early trauma maybe, you know. So those, this teaching about the five hindrances is very, very practical. And so this uh, comparison, you know, with this uh, comparison in order to kind of explain, you know, how those five hindrances can be experienced in the mind is compared with bowls of water, which 
you know, have have a certain substance in it which 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 does something to the clear water. You know, the clear water is a synonym for the luminous mind, for the mind without hindrances. And then, for example, for a mind under the sway of desire, there's a bowl of water, that's the first one on that little poster, a bowl of water where there is dye in the water, different dyes. And then, you know, if a person looks into the bowl of water, the reflection of their face is colored with the dye in the water. So it's the same, you know, for example, if you're very hungry, you go down a street here in San Francisco, what jumps out at you is all of the shop windows, you know, where there's food in it, because you, you just like to eat something. So then, you know, your, your awareness is, is very selective according to what's going on in your mind. So if we know that, that's, it's very helpful. And then the next one is a mind under the sway of ill will or aversion. And it's compared, you know, with a water which is boiling. It's bubbling like this and there's lots of steam coming off. And then if you would want to see your reflection, you know, in the water, it wouldn't be possible because the water is just bubbling and you can't see yourself. And then the next one is, is um, Slot and Topper. And that's, you know, that's compared with a mind which there is um, algae growing on the top of the, of the water. And it's all kind of, you know, very kind of sluggish. It's a water which is, there's no, not much life in it, you know, because it's, it's covered over. And then um, the next one is, is restlessness. And that's compared you know, with a bowl of water where there's a wind kind of going over the surface of the water and there's lots of little wavelets. And so if you would like to see your reflection in that water, it wouldn't be possible either because it's so disturbed. And then the last one is doubt. And that's compared with water where there is a lot of mud in it and it's in a dark place, so you can't see clearly either if you want to see your reflection. So that's those five examples of a mind which is under the influence of the hindrances. And then there's another sutta which is about how the mind would be free of those hindrances. And for example, you know, a mind free of desire in the suttas is written is like uh, somebody who has paid off all of their debts, you know, is, and that, that feeling of being free of debt, just being able to be at ease, not being tied, you know, in any way. And then a mind free of ill, Ill will or, or aversion is, is someone who is, you know, free of disease, free of dis-ease. You know, after a long disease, finally, you know, being healed and, and being in balance again. And then someone free of sloth and torpor is compared with someone who has been released from prison. If you have experienced ever, you know, that you're just feeling, you just can't even open your eyes because you're feeling so, you know, little energy.
being like being, you know, being in a box and not being able to sit up, you know, and arouse energy in the body. So that's being released from prison. And then restlessness and worry is in the in the suttas is compared to being released from bondage. And then the last one, doubt. You know, a, a mind free of doubt is is having returned home, you know, from a dangerous journey. It's in the sutta is written being you know coming back from a journey through the desert where you don't know, you know, where you're gonna get your next drink and you don't know when you will have some food and being, you know, being back home and having, you know, arrived in one piece, so to say, from that journey. So this, you know, these are kind of images which drive home that, that feeling of, of release and that feeling of, you know, of capacity to just be open and be with what is, just simply not adding anything on top of experience, you know. Because the teachings is all about removing the thinking on top of our experience, you know, coming from abstraction into direct experience and through directly experiencing what's happening in the present moment, we are learning about the way things are in a in a direct way rather than, you know, reading some Thing about it, or having somebody tell you anything about it, that's a good beginning. But if you if you haven't experienced it for yourself, it's not powerful enough to really change your mind. You know, hearing you know everything is impermanent, feelings are impermanent. It's one thing, you know. But then to really experience in the meditation that you know this is this is it changes your being really. And, and through changing your being, it you become a different person in, in the way you know how you relate. And you know, in one way, what we could, how we could kind of express what that is, is how the Buddha speaks about it. Is you know, losing fear of formations. You know, whatever happens, we we have the confidence we can meet it. You know, there's nothing whatsoever in this world. You know, which we can't meet. Because our whole life is not anymore under the motto, how can I get more pleasant feeling and how can I get away from unpleasant feeling. But our life stands under the motto, you know, how can I learn more deeply the way things are and through this, you know, start to relate in a realistic way. And it's no longer dominated by pleasant and unpleasant, but it's, it's about wholesome and unwholesome. And then, you know, it's, it's a lifelong project, but our life increasingly takes on more strength. There's more space there around experience, and there's a greater fulfillment because we, we're living more in the depths of what's really happening and not just kind of scratching the surface, you know, jumping from one thing to the next because nothing is really meeting that yearning, you know, for connection, you know, to the way things are, connection to the universe. And then, you know, very simple things can be deeply gratifying, you know. We don't need 
a lot of money anymore because it, we, we understand we still do need some amount of money in order to kind of you know get our bodies through the life but we know you know that the the satisfaction or the the gratification doesn't come from how much we have but it's the way how we are relating to what's happening and that's a it's a great self empowerment you know and you know it can only be realized individually by the wise how it's written in the scriptures you know it's it's a fruit of practice nobody can give it to us you know we can learn you know about instructions from other people and get some inspiration you know and spiritual friends are really crucial you know to do that together with others because if if there is no resonance you know with other people who are doing it it's so much more difficult but it is available you know as it has been you know thousands of years ago it's, it hasn't changed in that sense you know the pace of life it has maybe sped up quite considerably so in some ways it's more difficult you know but in other ways it's also easier because it's so easy to access teachings you don't need to hike over the himalayas you know to get instructions you just come to the uh, here simple or you, you go to the internet so it's very very simple and you know and how to work with the five hindrances how it's written in the scriptures is you know first is first step is to just notice are there is there hindrance presence or or is there no hindrance present that's the first step and then you know knowing very clearly that if there's a hindrance presence is nothing wrong with it it's just about knowing it because then as soon as you're knowing it you are not any longer under the sway of it because you can't know it without mindfulness so as soon as you know then mindfulness is there and then you know we can also look at what you know what are the underlying conditions for hindrance to arise for example and in a meditation it would be for example you know sway uh you know dropping off your chosen object of meditation and getting hijacked into daydreaming for example that would be a a, a condition for hindrance to arise you know and then uh, according to what's your preferred theme of daydreaming you know some people are more about greed and desire some more about ill will some have more tendency to doubt and so on you know and then often you know those those hindrances they also have a tendency to masquerade you know for example doubt can masquerade as wisdom you know i have to question everything a million times before i trust it you know and i waste like a whole lifetime doubting you know not noticing it thinking no i'm just a really super kind of discerning person so that is is important you know to kind of know what's going on and, and sometimes we just need maybe you need a teacher to help you know with this because it can be quite you know it's called near enemy in the in the scriptures near enemy and far enemy because some you know for example doubt and wisdom can look quite similar you know 
but somebody who is maybe a little bit further on the path as you or as me, you know, would be able to point it out. And then, you know, for example, uh, Slot and Topo, you know, might like look like, okay, whatever, you know, look very compassionate, but in reality it might just be, you know, not wanting to deal with it and just kind of saying, it's fine. So, and then, you know, the issues kind of become very big. So, you know, we need to, um, you know, be kind of a bit, kind of careful yeah, with this. And, uh, and, you know, and also on what condition leads to the absence of a hindrance. And in a nutshell, you know, it's that sentence which the Buddha says very often you know, in the scriptures, saying, you know, I see you, Mara. Mara is, is, called, is the synonym, you know, for the tempter in the Buddhist scriptures. And, you know, that means, you know, whenever there is like a hindrance present, if we are just aware of it, okay, I, I see you are here right now, then that's enough, you know, and then immediately an enlightenment factor is present. Immediately mindfulness is present. And so, you know, we have, we know the presence and the absence of the hindrances. We know the conditions for the arising and the conditions for the ceasing of the hindrances. And then also, you know, we can prevent future arising by, for example, you know, choosing wise people to spend time with wise people. In scriptures, it's, it's written like, you know, not uh, spending time with foolish people, for example. That doesn't mean, you know, to kind of look down on, on, on people who are maybe not practicing, but just knowing, you know, when, when we are in need of, of support and then choosing to, you know, come to a place where there is people who, who are experienced in practice and who, who can inspire us, you know, to, to develop more of, our, of this seed of awakening which we all have, you know. We just need to put the right conditions in place and it will start to blossom, you know, like if you have a flower pot, if you do the right things, it most likely is going to flourish, you know. And, um, you know, it's basically a diagnosis, you know, knowing it's here, not here, and then the cure, which is, you know, practicing, and then the prevention is also practicing. Diagnosis, cure, and prevention. And then just, you know, have that as, as a regular habit, you know, of making you know, your life a practice, really. Because there's nothing whatsoever, you know, which can't be used for 
exercising mindfulness. I mean, driving the car, going to the bathroom, shopping at the supermarket, you know, anything whatsoever can actually be used for practice. So, and then, you know, if we have seen clear enough, you know, that how powerful, you know, this practice can be, then, you know, our life will just kind of take on a, a different priority. And, uh, and then, you know, nothing whatsoever doesn't fit into that. Everything can be used. And there's a certain feeling of self-confidence, you know, which starts to come. And with this, you know, our capacity to hold steady with the challenges, you know, becomes stronger and stronger. And then the learning about the way things are it gets deeper and deeper. And then there are the fear of formations, you know. It's just going to be dropping away more and more. And that benefits ourselves and also all of those, you know, who come in contact with, with us. And then, you know, life just makes so much more sense than before because it's not about pleasant or unpleasant feelings. It's about, you know knowing what's happening in the present moment and trusting, you know, that this, what we all have, you know, this capacity for awakening will show us the way because this is a much bigger intelligence, you know, which the intellect can't really follow fully. It, it, it helps, you know, it's like signposts, you know, we can get from books and we can listen to talks and so on and so forth. But then, you know, the heart is doing the real deep work because this is a different intelligence which is in the service of, of the brain, the intellectual intelligence. <coughs> and then, you know, life uh, gets very different dimensions which, are, which we can't maybe imagine, you know, when we are still constantly running after pleasant feelings. Because we are, we are, you know, we are going into flatland constantly, instead of really going into the depths where reality reveals itself, you know. We don't have to kind of sledgehammer our way into this. We just need to stop and be where we are and go into the depths of it. And it will reveal itself. You know, anybody who wants to know can. Because it's waiting, you know, to be known. And then, you know, increasingly, you know, there's more capacity for dropping all ideas of needing to have and to gain something, you know. because we are so strongly conditioned in this way, you know. Everything is bombarding us, you know, the advertisements and the billboards, and it's just so a constant brainwashing that 
one really needs to be motivated, you know, and, and usually uh, people who are suffering a good amount, you know, they are motivated. So suffering is really, is a heavenly messenger, you know, it's a good thing. Because without suffering, you know, why should we be motivated to change? So that brings us all, you know, into the arena of wanting to learn and you know, it's there's only the difference, you know, those people who know that they are suffer and those people who don't who are not even aware yet, you know. So everybody who has set foot into this place, you know that you are suffering and you know that there must be a way out because that can't be everything. That can't be the reason, you know, to live to kind of run away from suffering. So you know, that's what is common to all of us, that we know that we are suffering and we know that there's a way out. And then we just start on kind of, you know, practicing in that way. And then let go all of ideas of how long it's going to take and, you know, how, how it's going to be and just let it take its course. Because, you know, having, you know, being caught up in thinking how long it's going to take and what you're going to gain from it is just another, it's just the five hindrances again. It's either doubt or desire, you know, or ill-will. And when we are in the sway of the five hindrances, we are not really, you know, able to connect with the way things are because we are just kind of caught up in thinking. So I know it sounds all pretty easy, you know, but it's it's not easy to do because it's it's it can you know we have to be able to tolerate sometimes a big amount of unpleasant feeling, especially you know uncertainty, not knowing. But this is the way things are, you know. We do not know what's gonna happen the next moment. We can't know. And. The practice is all about, you know, familiarizing ourselves with that truth. And, you know, it's, it's bhavana is a word for meditation in the Pali language, and that means cultivation, familiarization. The same in the Tibetan language, gom, means also to familiarize yourself with something. So, you know, and, and through the familiarization, we, use, we lose the fear of it, you know. And then we have more ease and we have more kind of settledness and centeredness. And through that, you know, equanimity is the big word. You know, equanimity and patience, the most important ingredients, you know, for the path, those two. There's not much, you know, speaking about those two qualities anywhere, you know, when you go out on the streets. So, you know, to, it's really against going against the stream. You know, like the name of this place here. It's going against the stream of, of, of mainstream society, you know, which, which still believes very much in, you know, if you get what you want, you're going to be at ease. But as you all know, it's, you're going to be at ease for a very short while, you know, and then you want the next thing. So... You know, and being able to look through, to through it, you know, in, in terms of the five hindrances, 
it's just one, you know, one very handy list in order to kind of be able to step out, you know, step out from the content and realizing the structure. And structure is a different word, you know, for laws of nature. Because it's not your fault, you know, that there's desire in the mind. It's just normal. A human being with this kind of a body, this is how it works, you know. So, you know, being not fooled by the content, but seeing the structure clearly and having that as a framework, you know, to hold on when the going gets tough and the content is really scary, you know, super scary stories or super seductive stories where it's very difficult to not get sucked in, you know. Then you just remember, oh, five hindrances. And then maybe you can step out for a moment and get sucked back in. And step out for a moment, get sucked back in. If you do that like a million times, you know, you, you learn something. <laughs> I have done it many million times. Because I'm doing that show, you know, for, I don't know, since 1988. And in the beginning I said, I'm doing this wrong, you know, because I should have a blank mind, you know, with nothing going on. But I know now, you know, it's not going to be like this. There's constantly something going on, and it's about like letting it go, but not with aversion, you know, and coming back to what's really happening. I'm thinking about what's gonna be blah 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 in December when I do this, when I do that. Okay, no, I'm actually I'm sitting here now, <laughs> and then it's gonna happen again and again, you know. And it's like, and if you cut that through so many times, you know, it starts to dawn on you, you know. That is not really me, because if I could have control over my mind, I, I would not have that happening. I would say no. <laughs> you know, and that's where the insight comes. You know, it's not by, it's not that we become a model of, you know, of not having anything going on, you know, but it's, it's more like we are not fooled by it, you know. And I think once that, you know, once you have gone through that first phase, you know, of, of having all these ideas about what the practice is going to give you, when you have been deeply frustrated, you know, so that you have finally let go of these kind of ideals you had, then it, the practice really starts to get some strength, you know, because you become more realistic of what's really possible, you know. And, you know, and that's what we'd like to share with you, because we are doing it for quite a long time and we have been endlessly frustrated in that way, you know. And then suddenly something else ha happens, you know, behind all of that. And, and that it's very difficult to kind of speak about it, you know. But you have to just not stop, not stop practicing. It's going to arise, you know, like the sun rising in the morning. Uh, and it's it's just different than from how it can be even spoken about, you know, in a dualistic language. So this is why it's so important to really practice because you have to know for yourself. And we can help a little bit, you know, but the most important thing really is don't stop when the going gets tough. Just keep going because that's the only way to know. Yeah, I think that's what I wanted to share. So, 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.